0: language, how blessed for me to think about this past decade, knowing that um, I have spent it all right here, which really is quite, quite a gift. So sometimes I think the Torah was written uh, to help us keep our problems and struggles in perspective. Let me give you an example. After family holiday meals and gatherings when I was an adolescent and well into my 20s I'd often retreat to my room and look up the word dysfunctional. (laughs) Always a bit surprised but relieved that the definition did not include Linder family. (laughs) If you can't use your own family as a foil who can you use? Uh, And I'm sure that nobody can relate to this. Uh, And then as a young man in my mid-30s, I attended Torah study for the first time around the library table at Temple Beth Am in um, Buffalo. Um, Actually, Rabbi Langowitz, where I first met your grandpa there for um, his um, grand children's B'nai Mitzvah. Uh, And this Torah study was led by Rabbi Steve Mason, and I was astounded at how honestly the Bible portrays family dysfunction. From Cain and Abel to Isaac and Yishmael to Jacob and Esau to this week's parasha Miketz, with Joseph and his brothers. Compared to our biblical ancestors, the Linder family looked rather saintly. Uh, And by the way, what a joy it was for Nancy and me to see Rabbi Steve Mason two days ago in town with his wife, Patty, for a bris and baby naming of their grandson, Milo, son of our friend and colleague from Congregation Beth Israel, Rabbi Sarah Mason Barkin, a mazel tov to all the Mason Barkin family. So the book of Genesis quickly moves from the creation of humanity, all of whom descend from Adam and Eve, to a branch of the family tree that will blossom forth from Abraham and Sarah, Isaac and Rebekah, to Jacob, Leah, and Rachel. In last week's first episode of the Joseph story, family dysfunction is front and center. Jacob blatantly shows favoritism to Joseph, the eldest of his two boys born to Jacob's true love, Rachel. Joseph proceeds to further disenfranchise himself with his brothers by sharing his dreams that are clearly a metaphor for his future dominance over his brothers. Knowing the brothers' jealousy, Jacob sends Joseph directly into harm's way to check up on his brothers. And sure enough, when the brothers see Joseph alone, they collectively conspire to kill him. Although we're in the Joseph story, it's Judah, Jacob and Leah's fourth-born son, who I'd like to focus on this evening. It's Judah, who arguably saves Joseph's life last week. Instead of letting him die of thirst and starvation in a snake-infested pit, Judah convinces his brothers, to pull him out and sell him as a slave. They stage Joseph's death as if he were devoured by a beast and showed their father the evidence of Joseph's death, his coat of many colors saturated in blood, the coat that symbolized their father's special love for Joseph. In what seems an Odd insertion in the Joseph story, we learn that Judah is preventing his daughter-in-law Tamar to rightfully and by law marry his youngest son Shelah after the untimely deaths of Shelah's two older brothers, each in turn married to Tamar. Tamar with few avenues to exercise power and claim the justice due her, disguises herself as a harlot as Judah and the boys are off shearing sheep. Sure enough, Judah gets the harlot in disguise pregnant and instead of publicly shaming her father-in-law, who still has the upper hand, she gives Judah the opportunity to save face and display his greatest character trait. Judah takes responsibility. In this case, for the injustice to his daughter-in-law, and he publicly declares she, Tamar, is more in the right than I, as much as I did not give her to my son Shelah. This week, more than 20 years after sold as a slave in Egypt, Joseph, and we know the story, rises to power, second only to Pharaoh. There is another famine in the land of Canaan, and Jacob, once again, this time in reverse, Sends the brothers in harm's way to Egypt to procure food, unknowingly coming face to face with their brother Joseph. Joseph immediately recognizes his brothers, yet they don't recognize him, him as he is now dressed in Egyptian royal garments. Joseph plants a scheme to test the brothers' remorsefulness. He holds their brother Simeon as ransom, sending the other brothers back to Canaan to retrieve the youngest brother, Benjamin. Jacob holds Benjamin back out of fear that something would happen to his only living son, born to Rachel. Jacob refuses their son's request to entrust Benjamin with them in order to redeem their brother Simeon. Yet, as the famine continues and their provisions run out, the eldest brother Ruvain, trying his best to be a leader, offers the lives of his two sons as guarantors if they failed to return with Benjamin. Well, that offer, understandably, wasn't enough to move Jacob. And as the famine endured, it was Judah who stepped forward as the leader, saying to his father, send the boy in my care. I myself will be surety for him. You may hold me responsible. If I do not bring him back to you, I shall stand guilty forever. It was only then with Judah laying his own life on the line that Jacob allowed his precious Benjamin to go back to Egypt with his brothers. As the story progresses, with the fate of Benjamin now in the balance, Judah once again steps forward. He lays bare his vulnerability before Joseph. Judah makes good on his promise to Jacob and puts his life on the line to save Benjamin. It's Judah that finally opens Joseph's heart as he, in next week's parasha, reveals himself to his brother's with tears flowing and calls to bring back their father to Egypt, bringing the family together under his and Pharaoh's protection. Torah endures over thousands of years because it shows our humanity, warts and all. There are no perfect air-brushed families there are no infallible leaders. The sacred text of Judaism, a gift to all peoples of faith, is about owning our imperfections, taking responsibilities for our actions, standing up for justice, and always evolving as human beings. And Jews, as we know, have many names. Were the Hebrews, the Israelites, B'nai Yaakov, the sons of Jacob, the 12 tribes of Israel. But the one that is most used is Jews. Why? Because it's taken directly from Judah, Yehuda. We are Yehudim, the plural form of Judah. Our faith tradition is universally known as Judaism. That's right. Our ism, our practice, what we strive to emulate is Judah. Leah chose to name her fourth son Yehuda, meaning, This time I will thank and praise God, a name that means gratitude. Jacob before he dies offers a blessing to all his sons and for Judah the blessing can be translated as you O Judah, your brothers shall thank and praise you. And this blessing can also be interpreted. You Judah, you admitted the truth you took responsibility for and to your brothers. On this festival of lights, with our Hanukkiah aglow in our sanctuary, we honor our namesake, Yehuda, and channel his greatest strengths that are our inheritance as Yehudim, as Jews striving to be like Judah, Living in a place of thanksgiving and gratitude, owning our imperfections, taking responsibility for our actions, standing up for justice, all of us, works in progress. That's Judaism. Nothing less than a miracle to this day, a light that shines in the darkness, by our faith to believe that our actions, even to kindle a mere cruise of oil, it makes a difference. If not for the fate of the whole world, then the life and dignity restored to one human being. That's reason enough to be a Jew, reason enough to be a person of faith.